All right. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Winning with Beckwith. I'm so excited to have our guest this week to talk about uh, some business leadership, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship, if that's a word, I'm going to go with it, and uh, business scaling. And so today we have Daniel Felt, founder and CEO of Cura Home, Cura Home, based out of Plymouth, Minnesota, right? That's correct. All right. Uh, I did want to throw out there, too, that Daniel is a graduate of Bethel University. I'm just looking at my notes over here. And you started Cura Home in 2011? Uh, 2016. I graduated in uh, about 2012 there. Oh, sorry. So Cura Home didn't start in 2011. Um, um, I wish. I'd, I'd be a lot farther on along financially. I'm excited what's going to be happening in the next few years here. That's awesome. So 2016, you started Cura Home. And so um, welcome to the show. I mean, honestly, I appreciate you coming on here. We have had several guests in all different lines of work. And I can honestly say this is the first time I've had anybody in your line of work. So I'm excited to have you on here and, and talk about the business that you founded, um, talk about that journey so far. Uh, and then what I found interesting when I first connected with you, we uh, had a lot of similarities in the way we approach business, um, the way we've grown our businesses. So I'm excited to kind of jump into that um, today. But before we do that, before we really talk about the business nuts and bolts, Tell me a little bit about your family. Like, who are you? Are you married? Do you have kids? Let's jump into that. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I, I'm a huge family guy. I, I grew up in a family. Well, I was one of six. So my immediate family is like 24 people today. I'm very fortunate to be married to my awesome wife, Angie. We have two kids. Uh, my son is almost three and my daughter is almost nine months here. So we're in, the, we're in the thick of it. We're having a great time and starting to spend money on things I never thought I would, like play sets and uh, little electric trucks to drive around the yard and things like that. So I, I'm a very family-focused person. I, I really enjoy um, you know, a lot of things, spending time with my family. But one of my ground rules is that I, just, I don't miss dinner with my family. You know, Obviously, like sometimes you have an evening meeting for some reason, but I, you'll never find me just working late into the day. And that, um, that one golden rule has, has served me very well for the years. Yeah, and, and that was one of the things I was mentioning earlier that we really had a lot of similarities on is, is the work-life balance. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to definitely get into that. And, you know, you said you had one boy, one girl? Correct, yep. So does that mean you're done? Because, you know. No, I don't, I don't think we're done. I, I, uh, when, when my wife and I met, I always told her I, I thought two to three would be awesome, and she said three to four would be awesome. And so I, I think three is three is for is going to be a for sure god willing and and who knows i you know we're we're kind of seeing how it goes and we're we're doing one at a time here but it's i you know my, i have two of my older siblings have four kids each and they've they both expressed that two is like universally accepted three is like oh you have a big family but then four you're kind of like a spectacle like they kind of watch you get out of your vehicle and coming from a family of six kids so there was you know eight of us like we looked like clowns getting out of a, our little minivan back in the day. You know, they were minivans were smaller then. You know, like and they they only had one. You know, one door on the one side. And man, we really crammed in there. But it worked. We we got from A to B, and and uh, we were late everywhere. And uh, I'm a very punctual person, so we we were late all over the place. So we're we're doing it. But I think for sure we're gonna have more kids. Yeah. So I have four. I have four daughters, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of what I why I asked because you're right. The world that we live in today is not built for a family of six, Correct. right? The hotels yeah. aren't meant for that. You don't have to get multiple rooms and you have to figure out that scenario. And, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but we we had four girls. The goal was to, we kept trying for the boy. 
Yeah. And that's so a lot of my friends that had one boy and one girl, they kind of stopped there. Like, all right, I got yeah. I got one of each and we're going to go with it. But I, I love my daughters, but um, we were definitely looking for the boy. So you got that one out yeah. of the way early. Yeah, I was we, we didn't know the uh, you know, we, we didn't find out the sex until they were born. And so I was uh, very excited when our first son was when our first born with a boy. And I don't know why it is. I don't know why men want to have a boy so bad. But then after we had a boy and a girl, I was like, oh, sweet. But then, I don't know, it was probably six months in. It was it was actually about a month in. I was like, I, our family isn't complete yet. You know, like, I, I think there's for sure something. And we've looked at all sorts of avenues. Like, we, I have a, my youngest sibling, sibling Amy, has Down syndrome. So we looked at, like, adopting potentially someone with, with special needs, looking for a family. We're we're really open at this point. We're, we're definitely not done growing a family through that's different cool. avenues. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's great. And there's definitely a need out there for that. Mm-hmm. So when we talked, um, when we first talked, you mentioned that you live on a hobby farm. Yeah. So I feel like we should incorporate that before we start talking about the business. Tell, tell me, first of all, what is a hobby farm? And then yeah, a, a hobby, a yeah, hobby farm is a farm that doesn't make money, Matt. Um, <laughs> we, we, we live on 10 acres in the you know west of the Minneapolis metropolitan area. And um, we, we're doing it. We've got, I think, like 60 chickens now and we we sell those to other people at church and uh two cats two chickens and then uh as of recently i have um i I really enjoy draft horses they're like a giant you know saint bernard's walking around and our mayor had a foal about two weeks ago so that has been a very exciting journey for all of us all the neighbors have come over and all our family just to see that new foal and those foals when they're drafted when they're born their head is almost as tall as you i mean they're they're huge animals right off the bat and wow. and so that's been a very fun thing so we've got the garden going on and um if you ever connect with me on social media every once in a while i put up a little video of us uh driving our draft horses as, as if we're going to town to get flour and sugar so um so we we're enjoying all the things uh hobby farm life but yeah in summary a hobby farm is just a farm that makes absolutely no money and costs a lot of time and effort that makes sense and it sounds fun i'm sure the kids love it they do so I always like to ask people something that we don't know about you or like the average person wouldn't know about you, the public. Right. And we could have easily probably gone with the hobby farm, but I feel like, you know, maybe there's something else out there that, that only your close friends um, would know about you that really nobody else would know. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I haven't really shared um, publicly, I um, last, I got kind of, I got kind of chewed out a little bit uh, because I didn't tell enough people apparently, but, I went skydiving for the first time last Saturday, and I got chewed out by a ton of people. But because um, I, I just shared a picture of me afterwards, and they, you know, they all, you know, mom and sisters call, and they're all upset with you. But um, currently, one thing that most people don't know that because I haven't shared is that I'm, I'm training for my second Ironman right now. So this morning nice. I was on a 19 mile run, which was uh, so getting up at 4:30 in the morning to get some of those long distance um, things in. So that's coming up in about a month, and uh, really excited because it's been 11 years since my last uh, Ironman race and my body, I'm, I'm a little older than I was last time. Things don't respond the way they, they once did, but I think it'll take me about two hours longer to do this, this, uh, Ironman this time around. But, uh, I have not shared that with, uh, really anyone outside of my close, close circle. Yeah, that's awesome. So what do you think on the, and all added the three, uh, elements, I guess, if we want to call it that running, biking and swimming, what do you think is, is the hardest for you today? And is that the same that it was, uh, the first time you did it? Yeah, so I'm 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 a rare person that that for me the swimming comes easy. I um, grew up. My parents um, inherited some money when I was around eight years old from my grandmother passing away, and we, they put a pool in in remembrance of her. 
super comfortable in the pool. I swam competitively even two years into college. So the swim for me is like no problem. And then um, with all the technology today, it's, it's tracking your heart rate and your heart rate zones. There's five zones. So on the swim, I'm in zone two. The bike is a little more difficult for me. And then the watch kind of reminds me of that because I'm in zone three most of the time on that. On that, And I'm, you know, a heart rate zone right around 135. But uh, the run is, it seems to be the most challenging for me, probably because it's, it's last. And so you're kind of drained, but I am in zone four of the five on that one. So I'm putting out the most amount of effort. And for me, I'm just trying to stay consistent. You can't just like go out in the swim and try to like beat everyone. And I, I maybe, I maybe could if I went like super hardcore, but you can't swim the race. And my very first triathlon, that's what I did. I went all out in the swim. And you've got these guys that are just flying <laughs> by you on the bike, like three minutes later. I'm like, okay, hey, that's pointless. So I try to come in in the, you know, maybe, I don't know, the 10th percentile. I'm not trying to win in the swim. And then the bike I'm hopefully maintaining. But yeah, that run, um, when I've lost a few positions, it's because of the run. These guys, these guys have faster run splits than me. And we've had like a similar swim and a similar bike. So, um, and the run, I don't know why, just every time my body, it, it's just like, it just, it's mad at me. You know, it's like, Hey, we didn't like, I went on a, I don't know, last week was like a 17 mile run and you know, I'm throwing up at mile 11, but as soon as I puke, I'm feeling better. So the mind and the body, it's really interesting. And sometimes I think I'm mentally pushing my body farther than, but I, I feel like I think the human body is really an incredible thing and you, you can push it beyond limits that it starts, it starts telling you it's uncomfortable way before it needs to quit in my opinion, but I also may be a lunatic. So, um, no, I'm a little crazy out there. I think you are partly lunatic lunatic. Yeah. I do tell, I tell my daughter that. So she's a very high, uh, competitive soccer player. Awesome. And I always tell her that if you don't get to the point where you're right about to throw up, it probably means you aren't, you haven't worked as hard as you could have. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is like, even if you throw up, you, you still haven't worked as hard as you could have. So, well, I mean, when you're, so what I have to do mentally is on these long runs, I've got to go like this morning. I went, I, I, you know, I went eight and a half miles or what? Yeah. Eight and a half miles. I don't know. I don't know. I did kind of split it up, but I had to go out halfway so that I get to the halfway mark. And now the, the only way back is you gotta, you gotta get yourself back. And so when you're on mile 11 and you still have six miles to go till your vehicle is parked or home, it's like, you gotta, you gotta keep going. I don't want to walk. That's going to add an extra couple hours to my day. And you know, we all have things going on. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And, but a lot of times I don't, I don't throw up very often on my runs or bike rides, but when I do, it's amazing how quickly I feel really great. I it really yeah. comes around. And I feel good. That's good. So <clears throat> a lot of times I spend some time on the, on the podcast, kind of getting to know the personal side of you, because I, I do think for, for the audience, it's important to know, Hey, this is a normal guy. But you mm -hmm. kind of ruined that when you said you're running an Ironman. It says, "Hey, I'm just kidding." But no, it's good to know a little bit about you. I do want to transition into the business side of things because I'm really excited about uh, the business that you started and, and the business that that you're growing. So, um, tell us a little bit about Cura Home. Like, what, what's your what's your uh, the business that you're in and, and kind of the, the the concept there? Yeah, our main focus is to uh, essentially attract mostly residential clients and we set them up on a routine maintenance subscription for their home. So today we have about 800 clients that we visit every three months. We're taking care of up to 34 different routine services from their home from cleaning your AC and dry events to delivering softener salt, changing all the filters in your utility room, you know, clean the dishwasher filter, changing smoke on batteries. It's an a la carte option for our clients. So 
Uh, started that in 2016, and you know, slowly but surely, we've you know just kind of it's kind of a snowball effect because they they are on a routine maintenance subscription, and they're coming back every three months. We had a lot of demand pop up when we were offering dryer vent cleaning. A lot of people were asking us to do air duct cleaning as well. And in the beginning, I I became a certified home inspector to start the company, so that I knew what was going on. You know, because we have clients in a when it comes to maintenance, a very simplistic like townhome, for example. Yeah. We have some clients that are in twelve million dollar estates. So how do you qualify yourself to know how to maintain it and I thought that was the best way and it was very informational but when we started we bought a machine that was used by a lot of very reputable air duct cleaning companies and I started using it I it was in my opinion not doing the job that I wanted it to do so we ended up doing a bunch of research and I ordered uh, equipment I piecemealed it together from 11 different manufacturers and so now today the way we clean air ducts is we you know to get a van set up we've got to order it from quite a few different people but we're really happy with the way that we do it. It's pretty simple to train a technician how to use the equipment. The customer can see the process. It's easy to explain, and that works a lot better for us. So at times, air duct cleaning, especially in 2020, grew to be about 70% of our business, um, and which is uh, I didn't want. But at the same time, when the phone's when the phone's ringing, ringing, you answer it, right? So, uh, yeah. but today in uh, in 2023 here, we're about 55% uh, of our our business is the subscription model routine maintenance services and about 45% is one-time services as such as air duct cleaning, driving cleaning and AC unit cleaning. Okay. So like, tell me like, what is your ideal client? Yeah. The, you know, the people that we show up to every day uh, for air duct cleaning, it's, uh, it's whatever your average person is in that market, you know, Minnesota, it's a 2000 square foot home and it's all over the board. Not a lot of senior citizens, but for the routine maintenance, it's a very specific person. Usually we're uh, showing up, we're usually working with women. They're between the ages of about 28 and late 40s, early 50s. A lot of times there's a dog running around the backyard, a couple of kids running around, they're busy, and their husband is very, very busy. That's very stereotypical. Um, right. But we, we work with a lot of people, middle age, they're, they're very busy, dual income, and or a stay-at-home parent, and, and they've got a lot going on. Our average client currently lives in a $1.1 million house for the routine maintenance in the Minneapolis metropolitan area. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you originally thought about starting a company or, or this type of um, this business, I know you talked about the air duct cleaning, but I'm, I'm more referring to kind of the, the subscription service. Like what, mm -hmm. what problem were you thinking you would solve when you started the company? Yeah, uh, the first part, the per first part was, uh, was almost selfish because I was uh, helping actually my brother. He runs a very successful window cleaning and holiday light business. I mean, the guy installs like 4,000 uh, houses a year for lights alone. He's got like 125 employees beyond successful. But the problem is that in Q1, you make no money. He's not, he's not doing anything. And realistically, uh, Q3 was, was kind of slow too. So you know, Q4 is awesome because you're putting up all these lights and, and everyone wants it done. But um, essentially what I was looking for was a company that someone who maybe college wasn't for you, um, you know, and maybe you don't want to work at a desk. Maybe you went to college, but you just want to work at a desk. And it's something that you could work year long and you're not having to do like strenuous labor. Like you're not having to like pour concrete, for example. And by getting the, the you know, every three months, it doesn't matter when a client signs on today because we're going to come back in three months. So we're very consistent. So I was looking for a company that, that financially was going to be very stable. And with that, we could provide very stable employment to employees that, Hey, I'm just looking for something that like, I know I'm not going to be laid off at the first snowfall or, or whatever it may be. So several reasons, a lot of it 
came around just looking for consistency in this in the home service industry. Okay. So the key key or I guess the the thing is just that consistency. Number one for your employees, like mm-hmm. so they can get kind of experience the the ebb and flow or eb, ebbs and flows, I should say, of the of that world. Right. Um, right. But also consistent income. Mm-hmm. For sure. And obviously, you know, you can want all these things and if the market doesn't want it, right, the phone's not gonna ring. And so from there it was finding, you know, is there a need for this? And, you know, for me, you know, today I'm I'm thirty three years old and so I'll make fun of millennials and I'll say that a lot of a lot of us millennials don't know crap about maintaining a house and new technology is coming out very consistently as houses become more and more efficient. And a lot of us grew up, we grew up in a daycare. We didn't grow up watching our parents maintain their home and do this or do that. And so it's just a really, uh, it's, it, it's amazing how many times we go into someone's house and, and we just, we'll do a free walkthrough with you to show you what we could maintain. And there's so many items that people, they, they just straight up, they're like, I had no idea that even existed. So now you're you know, having a service call for 150, 200, 300 dollars to fix this, and the you know the plumber or the HVAC person is saying, "Well, hey, you should have been changing this or you know cleaning that," and they're like, "Yeah, I had no idea." So we're just essentially doing taking care of all those items, and and there's a lot of people that just they don't know what they're supposed to know about maintaining their home. That's listen. It sounds great. I can tell you from somebody that does zero work at the house. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that sounds great. And I'm like, I'm like, where do I sign up? Um, and I haven't, the funny thing is I haven't really, and, and you know, I live in, in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Mm-hmm. We don't, I'm not aware of a, of a service similar to that. And I know there's a lot of people like myself that barely change light bulbs and you right. know, that, that definitely is, is appealing. So I think it's a great business idea. So one of the things that when I was growing my business, I had a lot of people like around me when I would set these goals and I would say things like, Hey, I'm going to close X amount of dollars in loan volume. Right. In my world, Mm -hmm. I would get a lot of that's not possible or Mm -hmm. nobody's ever done that. Or the, the market just doesn't have enough business to support that kind of goal. Right. And I was curious when you were kind of, throwing your, your idea out before you started the business to like your family and friends did, did you, did you run into any of that kind of uh, reaction? And if you did, how'd you, how'd you overcome that? That. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm really fortunate to have a lot of cheerleaders on, on my side and, and coming from a big family. I think a lot of people have that, but what it, what really does well for me is when people tell me I can't do something that I think is going to be successful. And I've, I've shared this story many times. I don't know if my brother ever listens to podcasts, but he told me it was the stupidest idea he's ever heard of and it would never work. And uh, boy, when you take that criticism and you turn into fuel the way of, I'm going to use this to, to prove you wrong because if you're looking for someone to tell you that, hey, like, you know, running a race is going to be hard or raising a, you know, four girls is going to be hard, whatever it may be, like, you're right. Like, you're going to find it. But when you change your mindset of like, it's going to be hard and I'm going to overcome it. And I'm going to actually prove you that this is easier than you think it's going to be and I'm going to come out on top. And you keep on using that that fuel and the motivation and you just you start becoming a bigger person where you can handle bigger problems and these little things throughout the day to day, they just get easier. So for me, it's it's using like take the haters and and just kill them with kindness of being like, hey, I, I, I know you said this is going to be hard, but look, I did it. And they're like, oh, well, you're hiring your first employee is going to be hard or your 10th employee or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, you're right. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. Like if someone else could do it, I, you know, I'm going to at least give it a shot. And we have tried things and failed like for sure that happens. 
but being a big enough person to admit that you failed and change the, the path of your company for the success of you, your family and all your employees, it's, it's really important. So be humble enough to, to eat that pie and, and use the fuel from your haters. I think it's very important. Yeah, there were so many good quotes in there. I know, I know Loren will go back and he'll probably pull out quite a bit of uh, good, good stuff to, uh, to pull out of that, just that last comment. She said so many good things, like being humble, right? But mm-hmm. also, I think when you, one thing that, that really stuck out to me is like, your brother said that, right? And you could have easily been like, you know what, you're right, it is a bad idea and it's never going to work. But instead of that, you, you flip the script and you mm-hmm. use that as fuel and motivation um, to get you going. And, and I'm not saying that that's the only reason that you wanted to prove him wrong, but I think when you believe in an idea, right, mm-hmm. you have to push, push to accomplish that goal, whether it's starting a business or hitting a goal, a sales goal at the company that you work for. And I think, um, that's one thing that we can take the haters as you call them, yeah. Um, and take that and use that as fuel, right? But also recognizing that you may fail, mm-hmm. right? And you just reframed everything that that you reframed it and said, "Hey, it is going to be tough." You acknowledge that it is going to be tough, but you didn't give up, and I think that's the key. So acknowledging, "Hey, this is going to be a challenge. I'm going to have to put forth the effort, have good processes, have good um, procedures in place, and goals." You can't just set a goal and say all right, I'm going to hit it. Like it takes a little bit right. more than a positive mindset, but the positive mindset is what I wanted to hone in. You have to start there. If you For start sure. with a negative mindset, it's, it's, you're already going to start off on the wrong foot. Most so definitely. a lot of good stuff there. So your company today, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about it. So you're, tell me the markets that you're in currently and just kind of quick overview there as far yeah. as markets. Yeah, right now we entire the we service the entire Minneapolis metropolitan area. We had expanded a little bit to corporate owned locations in a couple of other markets. Ultimately, we couldn't keep our quality up and and like I said, you know, be humble enough. Financially they were fine, but we we just it, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze and you look at your, you know, what's your how do you want to be spending your day-to-day life and it, it's not, you know, trying to convince a technician to do a better job 12,000, you know, 1200 miles away or whatever it may be. So um, so we actually pulled all of those markets and we we switched over to a franchise slash license model. And that's worked really well for us because we sold the license in the Seattle market. And so there's a gentleman there. He's he's working. It's not called Cure Home. He's working underneath his current business, which is maintained home services. But if you hired him, if you moved, if you moved from Minneapolis, and then you moved to Seattle, you would be like, I don't even know the difference between your companies, except for he has a different logo and a different color scheme. And then we just sold our second license down in Orlando as well. And that gentleman just uh, went down there last week and he's, he's starting to do that. So our main expansion plan, besides we're growing uh, organically in our current market, which is I'm very fortunate to have an incredible team growing that. We're, we're now putting a really large effort into expanding across the nation. There's, there's you know, I, I forget the exact number. I think it's about 195 metropolitan areas with over a million people in them in the U.S., and there, and this service would be more than well uh, served in each one of those markets. Yeah, so I think it's great. So you fr- you switched essentially from a corporate owned model to selling the franchise licenses, which, mm-hmm. by the way, are available nationwide for anybody that's listening that that's interested. But um, tell me about kind of your thought process there. I know you just mentioned that you were having essentially management it's hard to manage mm-hmm. kind of geographically and, and just kind of touch on that 
Yeah, it it was very challenging for us, and and maybe that's a that's a me problem. I'm I'm not sure. I, I just I don't micromanage people, and we tried um, quite a few different things. At one point, we had over 52 people employed at our company between our locations, and it it just wasn't working out. And I I think I could have spent time and you know flown down to these different locations and spent you know several days there or whatever training these guys in, but ultimately. I don't, you know, some it's for me. It's not so much about the money. It's it's kind of about the game. It's it's like a really fun game of Monopoly for me, and you know, like, hey, can we grow this? Can you conquer, you know, this next challenge and things like that? So, with that, we decided to switch to the to a franchise model. And and from that, when we were doing the franchise, what we were realizing is all these people that were inquiring because if you've ever tried to sell a franchise, I I say kudos to you because it's about a point five to one percent close rate. So. We talked to a lot of people that were looking at buying franchises and all a lot of them were they were already entrepreneurs and they're already in the home service industry they were just looking for a way to add reoccurring revenue to their business and the largest roadblock that we ran into is because of the rules and regulations with license with franchising you have to use our logo and our name and it's we're not subway like we're not mcdonald's right and so they're like well what use is that so it's like you know how you know do we do we switch or or whatever and so with that then we we're like, well, well, we'll go one step farther. Even though it's basically the exact same thing, a license, you just don't have to call it Cure Home. You can call it Matt's Home Maintenance if you want. And and we'll still teach you everything as if you were a franchisee. We'll teach you how to market. We'll teach you how to do all these things. We'll literally give you the roadmap and, and we'll tell you a whole bunch of things, about all the mistakes we've made and how you avoid them. And, and that when we switched that, it was pretty much instant. We started selling the licenses. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. I love I love the transition there and being able to be humble, right, and realize what you were doing wasn't working and, and switching that up. So there's so many things I want to touch on. So I, I want to ask you, what was the first, who was the first, not the person's name, but what was the first position that you hired at Cura Home? Yeah, the very first guy that we hired was a, a part-time technician. And uh, he was taking a break between uh, high school and college. He was taking a year off and he was looking for basically part-time work. I think that's one of the largest stress for in the home service industry to hire someone is as a as a if you're running your own company, it's just you, you're a one man show, you're probably working, you're doing like six hours of work in the field a day, and then you're working like four to six hours a, a day at home, while working on like marketing, answering the phone calls, the emails that are coming in, and you're like, well, once I'm working eight hours, I'll hire someone, and those are you're gonna be stuck there forever unless you're like some you have some magic power that I don't know about. But it's basically it like doesn't really work, and so fortunately I hired this guy, and he's like, oh yeah, he's like, I I'll work ten, I'll work forty hours a week, and and he took a lot of that stress off of my shoulders because he was he was fine with whatever. And as soon as I hired him, it was sweet because I was like perfect. He was working, uh, he you know we'd work usually from like eight to two o'clock, and I was still doing my thing. But I was afraid to buy a vehicle, so my roadblock was I'll buy a vehicle once we're doing eight hours of work, and you can go do your own. But I, but, but I wasn't willing to get there. And fortunately, I hired a business coach in early 2018, and he really kicked my butt. We actually bought a van, and within two months, we needed a second van. As soon as I allowed that technician to go out and start doing his own thing, and I was just working on, on the business of that, of that level where I was out trying to network and market and build, build the business, almost instantly we needed a second van, and we started running two crews. So we went from making, it, it was like $8,000 a month in January of, of 2018 when we were making 28,000 a month by the end of the year. So we like, just by delegating some of those tasks. So once we got three crews, we then um, hired a client care coordinator. And at the time it was an administrative assistant. But the problem is when you're hiring an administrative assistant, 
a lot of the people that are applying for those jobs are looking more for a job where they like answer the call and they forward it on. Like, oh yeah, I'll, uh, you know, like, like think of like when you call a car dealership. Oh, you're looking for sales? I'll get you all their maintenance. Yeah. We need a client care coordinator, someone who's like going to manage that. And when we learned that out, we started going through those growth. We started breaking some of those ceilings that a lot of service businesses hit. Yeah. So you touched on a lot there. I, I, I just, I talk about this a lot. I've talked about it on this podcast. I talk about it with one-on-one meetings, um, business owners that they're waiting to hit a certain target before they hire that next position. And you almost need to proactively hire is what you're saying in expectation, right? Because before that, before you hired the, the part-time technician, you were doing the, the technician work, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cure home was me. <laughs> yeah. You're out in the field and no matter what you do for a living, right? If you're a doctor, or you're a lawyer, the same principle applies. If you're a real estate agent, if you're a loan officer, right? You are doing the work, right? But you can't grow your business and you can't scale until you delegate some of that work to somebody else and, and hire somebody. And so a lot of times what you're saying is, is I technically you hadn't got to that eight hours a day um, mm-hmm. of that other work where it made sense. But once you hired that person, your revenue almost tripled, right, right? Within a short period of time. And that's what I tell people. It's not about how much you make on each deal <laughs> at mm-hmm. the end of the day or each transaction in your case. It's about how much you make total, right? Yeah, your expenses may have gone up, but your revenue also went up, which means now you're, you're able to scale and, and grow a business. So a lot of good things in there um, for the audience, like rewind and listen to that a couple times. Like you really hit a lot of key points in that. So I know we're coming up on 30 minutes. I really, I'm looking at the rest of my questions and I'm like, what? We probably have time for one more, <laughs> one more. Question. <laughs> so I'm trying to pick the best one here. Um, I really wanted to touch on, on the work-life balance. So mm-hmm. when we talked originally, you had, you had mentioned that and you mentioned at the beginning of, of the podcast. So I know for me personally, I kind of had to have like this literal come to Jesus moment where um, I was about to be divorced and I realized that I had got my priorities all out of whack. I'm curious if you had that kind of moment or it's just kind of the way you were brought up. Like what kind of brought you to that point where you realized that work-life balance is, is critical? You know, I, I, for me, there was it's kind of all come together really nicely. There was a moment where I asked for some time off of work at a, when I was employed by my brother's company, and it was in late July when we were doing absolutely nothing. And, and he, he said, no, like, I need you in the office. I'm like, we're literally doing nothing. Like, I don't need to be here. And <laughs> and that was actually a kind of a deciding moment for me. And, and he, you know, everyone's becoming a better, better business person. I'm sure he's a lot better at that. But at the time, he was like, I, just, I need you here. And I watched my dad, um, we grew up, we had, we had no money, but my dad was around and, and he, he went to work at like, it had to have been like 4.30 or 5 o'clock, but he was there right around the time we got off the bus. Like he was home around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I, and I always really appreciated that about my dad, that he was, he was there. And so I saw that in my parents. Um, fortunately, my mom, you know, was running her own business. And so she was able to work from home, be at home with us. And I, I absolutely loved that. But ultimately... For me, especially through COVID, seeing that, hey, like I can actually get a lot done in a short amount of time, you know, like I can um, really like crunch a lot of things together and, and get a lot done. But I, I have seen both my 
kids the first time they crawled i i was here for that that was very important for me i saw the first time my son walk because after this i can i can go up and get my you know kids up once they wake up from their nap and and those moments are really important for me because ultimately i just i don't want to go through i'm not i'm not working to get that gold watch when i'm 65 and, and retire that's not what's important to me i'm not trying to you know climb any sort of ladder it's i i think i see the relationship that i have with my parents and that's only because they were around so much growing up and i want to have if i if i have even close to that same relationship with my kids i it will be very uh, a huge success for me and and my son was just accepted into uh his preschool like two hours a week or something whatever i'm like shoot like (laughs) we're, we're one step closer to dropping you off at college here so I, I love being a dad, and I know that doesn't come at naturally, organically for, for everyone, but I, I love being a dad. I love being around my kids, and I love seeing the world through their eyes the way that they, they see it. So um, I've just created a, a life for me that, that works out that I can enjoy those those little things in life. Yeah, I think you hit, hit a lot of good points there, and I think we, life can go by pretty quickly. I think it's great. So do you think your parents will listen to this because you just gave them a huge shout-out? So um, <laughs> I will definitely send it to them. They, they, uh, they, they are proud already, but I'll, I'll give them a huge shout out. They'll, they'll probably then share it with all their friends too. No, and I think that's great. And I think that that's like a really great gift that they left you um, and a legacy that I'm sure your kids will carry on too is, is that importance of, of that work-life balance in that family. And I think, I think at the end of the day, it helps you as a business owner to have that balance um, instead of the reverse where the world and, and a lot of people would tell you that, oh, you got to work, you know, 60, 80 hours a week in order to be successful. But I think that's it's counterproductive sometimes. And to be able to have that balance, I think, is key, because uh, if you're always stressed and you're always, um, you know, anxiety ridden from your job, you're not going to be as productive when you are working. And, and you said it a lot. You basically said that you're like, I can do a lot in a short period of time. But that's partly because. You're, you're refreshed, mm-hmm. you're feeling good, you've had that balance, you're getting good sleep, I hope, right? Your kids mm-hmm. may be old enough for you to get good sleep. And then, you know, you're able to work out. All those things, I think, are important to actual business, which a lot of times people don't associate that. So I think that's important. I had on here, too, how do you keep getting better as a leader and a business owner? And, and we, did, we, we are way over 30 minutes, but I just wanted to throw this out there is you mentioned earlier you had a business coach and I know I've had a coach uh, for, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years now. And it was yeah. a game changer for me. So just real quick, you want to comment on that? Yeah. My biggest thing is to never stop learning. Uh, you know, a coach is awesome. If you wanted to, you know, do a race or whatever, right. You, you know, be, be really fit. You'd hire a coach for it. Um, my largest thing is just never stop learning. I, I decided to jump on the, I'll call it the bandwagon of 52 audiobooks last year. Um, was really really great. So if you're if you're driving down the road and you're not listening to a great podcast like this one or or some sort of educational thing where you're getting better, I, I hate to tell you you're, you're wasting your time. You should think of that as Windshield University, and and it's actually pretty easy to to hammer in 52 books in a year or a book a week, and and you can actually cheat time and each each week increase the speed. I got to the point where I was listening to books at 1.7 times the speed and still retaining all that information. So cheat time start listening to audiobooks podcasts speed them up sometimes our laughs will sound really stupid at uh sped up speeds but that's part of and uh just don't stop learning you're you're never you never want to be the smartest person in the room if you are you got to find you got to find a better room you know obviously you want to be helping and mentoring younger or or people at different stages in business but 
you should always be striving to become a bigger, better person. Perfect. I think that's a great way to end. So I'm just going to throw out there too, uh, anybody listening that, that this type of business, uh, piqued your interest. Uh, I know Daniel would love to talk to you about, uh, the licenses and the franchise. And, and I'll say this, that's not why Daniel came on the podcast. So I thank you for coming on, but Daniel's goal was to just share some of the knowledge of the stuff he's learned. And, and honestly, he's a very humble guy. He'll tell you he's still learning uh, just like I am um, every day in, in his business and other businesses. But thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you guys on the, on the next episode. All right.